You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Last call, ladies and gentlemen. We're serving free liquor. We're giving away money. <laughs> and we have a pile of frozen uh, porterhouse steaks and filet mignons cooking. Uh, please come have a seat. And good, and good books. Yes, we're giving away good books. I mean, good Thank lord. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there are books. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, Welcome once again to the Agony Column Live here at Capitola Book Cafe. My name is Rick Kleffel and I host the Agony Column at KUSP Sunday nights from 6 to 7 p.m. And chances are you're going to hear a big chunk of this tomorrow night because I think we want to, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, with me this evening, I have Lisa Lutz and David Hayward. Lisa Lutz is the author of the Spellman Files Mysteries, and I can't say enough good things about these books. I love a good monster story. I love a good literary story. The Spellman Files just kick my butt and I enjoy the hell out of them. And there's four of them. There's The Spellman Files, Curse of the Spellmans, Revenge of the Spellmans, and The Spellman Strike Again. Now with me right here is David Hayward. He's a poet and an editor and he's uh, with Lisa. He and Lisa have co-authored this book called Heads You Lose. It's a fabulous book. I'm going to let uh, Lisa, who came up with the idea, well let's just... Uh, Want to just lead off with a little reading from the Spellman Files? Sure. I mean, let me just give uh, enough background so people know what we're doing. Sure. Okay, so the Spellmans are about a family of private investigators and how the tools of the trade affect their family life. They're all narrated by Isabel Spellman, who is 28 in the first book. And we're not reading from the beginning. We're, we're reading from a part in the middle where Isabel has... Um, She's been following this uh, dentist around, and she's tracked him to a tennis club, and she wants to meet him and find out more about him. And her brother is a member of this specific elite tennis club, so she uh, uh, enlists the help of her brother David to um, take her to the club. And this is what happens when they meet the dentist. And the dentist's name is Daniel Castillo, by the way. Daniel entered the Matchpoint Bar and Cafe as David was ordering our drinks. It occurred to me that consuming alcoholic beverages before noon might come off as, as suspect, but it was too late. Daniel spotted me on his way to the bar. I was trying to conjure the appropriate expression under the circumstances. A double take, perhaps. A look that says, don't I know you from somewhere? Not. Statistically speaking, I have been expecting to see you, but now that I have, I'm not sure what to say. I had not yet managed to plant any safe expression on my face when Daniel sauntered over. I was wondering if I'd see you here again. Oh, hello, was my clever response. I could feel myself freezing up, words jumbling in my head, my heel tapping uncontrollably on the floor. Then David arrived, handed me a beer, and saved me from certain humiliation. Hi, I'm David. Are you a friend of Izzy's? Izzy? Isabel, this one's sitting right here. Uh, we met some time ago. Would you like to join us? Daniel was about to say no, automatically assuming that David was my boyfriend and not my brother. Our resemblance being so meager, that is a common misconception. Although with women, the misconception is often accompanied by audible remarks such as, wow, she must have done something right in a past life. Oh, no. Thank you. I, I don't want to intrude. Sit down. I've talked to my sister long enough for one day. I often record conversations that involve my family to evidence disparaging remarks. 
Sure, David was doing me a favor, but favors in my family are often a recipe for disaster. I turned on my palm-sized digital recorder, just in case. The transcript reads as follows. Let me get you a drink. I'll be right back. You both good? I'm fine. Although, Izzy drinks fast, so you might get her another beer. Ouch. No, I'm fine, thanks. He's not your type. I like him, therefore he is my type. Let me re rephrase. You're not his type. How do you know? I know. How? Men like that, like women who pluck, pluck their eyebrows. I pluck. Biannually doesn't count. <laughs> I pluck plenty, and you'd have to look really close to notice when I don't. I just don't see you two together. David, if you sabotage this, I swear to you. Isabel, you've invaded this man's privacy for two weeks straight. I'd say you're well on the way to sabotaging this all by yourself. Daniel returns with two beers. I got an extra, just in case. Smart man. So, Daniel, how do you know my sister? We met a few weeks ago, was it? Something like that. Are you sure it wasn't more like five weeks? I had a plate. <clears throat> Sorry. Perhaps. I borrowed his pass. David's pretty good at remembering details. I remember because that's when Izzy just decided to take up tennis. Do you prefer to be called Izzy or Isabel? Just call her Izzy. Why waste your time with the extra syllable? Either one is fine. So how did you and Izzy end up talking that day, approximately five weeks ago? Your sister had a question regarding a tennis match I played. Hmm, what kind of question? Let's just say that Isabel is very observant. You have no idea. Ouch. I'm sorry, was that your leg? You know damn well it was. <laughs> I apologize. So, Daniel, what brings you here today? I had to play in the dentist league, so I had a few matches this morning. You're a dentist? I thought we weren't going to talk about work. You're a dentist? Yes, I'm a dentist. Did you know that, Isabel? Yes, I did, David. So, David, what do you do? I'm a lawyer, corporate, mergers and acquisition, that sort of thing. Did my sister tell you her profession? Yes, she did, when we first met. So, you know. Ouch. Yes, I know. I'm a teacher, David. Why would I keep that a secret? A teacher? I had no idea. I mean, I have no idea why you'd keep that a secret. Actually, I'm a substitute, but once I get my credentials, then I'll probably look for a full-time position. Or you could join the family business. Ouch. Isabel, do you understand that when you share a table with others, that also implies sharing the space beneath the table? I'm sorry, was that you? What is the family business? Teaching. We are all in the business of education. <laughs> Not me. I think I'll have that beer, if you don't mind. No, that's my beer. You go get your own. I think I'll call Mom and ask her how her teaching career is going. <laughs> Ouch! You should have that tick in your leg looked at. You might have a neurological disorder. David, there's a payphone over there. Go. David limps t over to the payphone. Your brother doesn't have a cell phone. He does. I was just trying to get rid of him. Are you two always like this? Like what? I believe you are kicking him quite a bit. David has a tendency to say inappropriate things. I was simply trying to keep him in check. I see. It's really quite exhausting. So why do you do it? He is my brother. That doesn't mean you have to play tennis with him. I suppose not, but I do like this club and he has a membership. So do I. Yes, you do. Mom says hi. How is she? She's thinking of retiring. They don't make kids like they used to. <laughs> Speaking of kids, do you have any? Ouch. No. I'm sorry, I thought that was David. <laughs> I assumed as much. Here's my card. Call me if you'd like to play tennis sometime. That is, if you don't mind, David. You can have her. 
Ouch. That wasn't me. I know that. I bumped my knee. <laughs> Goodbye. Could you be more of an ass? Sure. I could have told him the truth. That was a reading from the Spellman Files, V1. And I think that uh, your choice of uh, the way to read this bears very much on my questions for you. Okay, okay And good. my take on this book. So now uh, they're going to read some letters, I believe. Yes. Or actually, are you going to... Is I that your poem? Yeah. Oh. All right. Oh, yes. I, just, I, I thought that was going to be uh, yeah, let's re do. required. So. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, I'm really more... Rick introduced me as a poet. I'm really more of a retired poet. But this is uh, one of my poems, which is referenced in the book, actually. Yes. Um, it's about, a, it's about a, the mascot of a minor league baseball team who got in, involved in a fight with the other team and was ejected from the game. It's called Davy Cricket. I did what I did for Lubbock and the Crickets and me. The headline they gave this, minor league mascot ejected in brawl, is funny, I know. Overardent loyalty, ha ha, the furious blue insect impervious in his padded suit and by the same cushion disabled. Still, it hurts. They boo joy when they boo me. And the players who held me back might think harder about whose adamant image they wear on their caps. For as long as I'm in him, Davy Cricket won't be among the buccaneers or bears or Indians who have at their center something alien, some actor. I am what I look like and want the things I shout for. Foam lips are lips. The costume makes me nakeder. <laughs> so pretty much the same as Lisa's work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now I think we're going to have you two read the letters. How do you feel about reading the um, editor's note, which sort of explains the format oh, yeah, of the book? Oh, me? Yes, you. Oh, sure. <clears throat> Dear reader, in the spring of 2009, the New York Times best-selling crime novelist Lisa Lutz decided to collaborate on a murder mystery with a longtime friend and ex-boyfriend, freelance editor and poet David Hayward. The practical workings of the collaboration were as follows. Lutz would write the first chapter and all odd-numbered chapters thereafter. Hayward would write the th even ones. They would not outline or discuss what they were working on. Each author would read the other chapter's blind, others chapter blind. Neither author was allowed to undo a plot development established by the other. A few details about the presentation of the text warrant explanation. The footnotes within each chapter are comments made by the reading author. The authors also exchange brief messages when a chapter was completed, and these appear at the end of each chapter. The author's initial messages to each other about the potential project are presented in, on the pages immediately following this editor's note. Let's told me that she saw the project as an experiment, a challenge, a new way of writing that might spur creativity to higher levels. I leave it to you to judge the results. For reasons that will become obvious, both authors refuse to come together to revise their work. I present it to you in its original form. While unorthodox in structure, it is nevertheless a novel. It just happens to tell more stories than either author intended. So, um, as, as, as the editor said, and this, I'm now reading my 
my letter to Dave inviting him to join me in the project. Dave, I just finished the first chapter of a new novel, a real crime novel with a dead body and all, and I thought of you. And not in the way you might expect. <laughs> I'll cut to the chase. What would you say about making a go of another collaboration? And no, I have not recently suffered a head injury. There's just something about this project that makes me feel like two heads might be better than one. I know what you're thinking. Yes, our last attempt at collaboration, the FOP, was an epic disaster. A month-long volcano of insults followed by a few years of complete silence qualifies, yes? Sometimes I don't know how we survived it, not to mention several other battles. But this is what, 13 years later? We're older, wiser, and probably too tired to fight with that level of vigor. <laughs> and maybe the FOP was doomed from the start. When it came down to writing it in the sober light of day, it might not have been the bulletproof idea it seemed over pitchers of beer at the kilowatt. The story of a double agent valet hiding behind the identity of his moronic yet flamboyant master is basically a B-movie version of Jeeves and Wooster. Although honestly, I still think there's something there. It just wasn't our fate to realize the vision. More importantly, we were writing that thing in the same room. Facial expressions can ratchet up an already stressful experience. I also think it's worth mentioning that this was back in your poetry days. And frankly, your touches of poignancy and high art references were severely out of place in a broadly comic mainstream undertaking. Really, I accept e equal blame for it. I had no patience and was often quite rude. Let me just offer up an overall mea culpa. But forget about the fop. This is not the fop. This is an as yet untitled crime novel that I think has some potential. If you're game, let me know, and I'll send you the first chapter along with a few minor stipulations. If not, no offense taken. I'm sure I can find some other ex-poet interested in slumming it in the world of mainstream fiction. Best, Lisa. Lisa, and hello to you too. A word or two of personal greeting would have been nice. After all, it's been a few months since I saw you at Frank's. But I guess the business-like approach is part of your strategy for this new project. I think I get it. And we did almost have something with the FOP, didn't we? Clear away the romantic debris and maybe the last half hour of every writing session. And it really might have worked. I still laugh every time I think of the ski lodge scene after he retrieves the monocle. Can you name a funnier movie sequence in the past decade? I can't. But yeah, communication was never our strong suit. For example, the news that you considered the FOP a broadly comic mainstream undertaking would have been useful in 1997. If I'd known we were aiming that low, I would have punched up the crotch gags, and maybe the last 13 years would have gone differently for me. But let's leave all that in the past. I'm sorry, too. I don't know what your minor stipulations might be, but I have only one, and it's major. If we do this and it sells, we split the money down the middle. Given our history, not to mention your lifelong obsession with butlers and other men servants, I think this can work only if we approach it as equals. I realize you're the name here, but if I didn't have something you wanted, I figured you wouldn't be asking me. If you agree to that, I'm game, and hopefully not in the hunting sense. Dave. Dave, I can handle the 50-50 split, but only with a couple of sensible amendments. First, I get top billing since you agree on the name, author. Second, you may not discuss any aspect of our collaboration with our mutual acquaintances. My final stipulation is that you simply correct my spelling and grammar rather than mock me for it. <laughs> you know what I've discovered in the world of publishing? Copy editors. They're totally awesome and they never insult me. I just want to mention two more things. 
One, most people secretly wish they had a butler. I simply have the courage to openly voice my desire. <laughs> Two, read your description of the fop. How was it not obvious we were talking about a broad comedy? I'm hoping the first chapter will make the tone of this story unmistakable. But if you're confused, please ask. Don't try to create a new genre. So let's get started. Lisa. Thank you very much. Now, you actually do uh, create a new <laughs> genre with this. It, you created it with the, when you uh, wrote, did you write the editor's note? Yeah, I wrote it and then Dave rewrote it. Okay, of course. <laughs> not surprising. Now, I wanted to go back to the Spellman excerpt because you brought that in, not as a book, but as a script. Yes. And it struck me as I read the, the Spellman files, which I totally adored, um, that this is like, um, you didn't actually almost, I got the feeling you didn't write it so much as you acted it. I, I can see you just almost there emoting the whole thing. I don't know if you ever saw The Whole Wide World, the story of uh, Robert E. Howard. He wrote the Conan novels. Oh, yeah. And when he wrote the Conan novels, he would like was literally like shouting out what he was writing. Yes. <laughs> and I got the kind of feeling that you were doing the girly version of that. <laughs> <laughs> the girly version. Um, I, I do. I actually, um, people always say, can't you write in cafes? And I can't write in cafes because I do, I have to hear it. And especially the dialogue. The dialogue has to have a certain rhythm and a certain sound. And, and when I first started writing, I wrote my, you know, the very first thing I, I wrote seriously or tried to write seriously was a play. And I had a tiny bit of background in theater much, when I was much younger. And then I moved on to screenplays. So for me, yeah, I, I, it, it is absolutely like that. I need to hear the voice. And, and with the Spellman books, they're written from Isabel's point of view. So it's all in her voice. And so everything I have to say out loud. Now, David, uh, the uh, one of the Izzy's uh, main antagonist in the Spellman books is her perfect, intelligent older brother, who, by no coincidence, I'm guessing, is named no, David. It's a coincidence. <laughs> uh, you could, yeah. No, but I it don't is. know if I'm buying that or not. It really, he's not perfect. <laughs> well, he's not. I, I, I could not help but see him as I read David. But I describe David as being uh, dark-haired. I mean, they're both tall, but I mean, it, I, yeah. yeah. If, if you knew anything about the state of our relationship when she started the Spellman mm -hmm. Files books, you would never make that make assumption. That, yeah, make that assumption, because I was far from uh, yeah. any, anything associated with perfection in her, in her eyes. So. <laughs> now, but David's, but a, you know, it's a common name. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I'm allowed to use it. Oh, no, you're certainly allowed to use it. <laughs> he doesn't own it. <laughs> Are well, you just going to go by David from now on? <laughs> it's all he needs to go. Everybody will know who we're talking about. <laughs> That's the, the guy who, who's next time, they, they'll reprint it with uh, his name in the... In his dreams. <laughs> in a legible font? Yeah, in a legible font. <laughs> Someday. Uh, David, when, when Lisa first approached you with this, was it with that very letter? No, it, it was with the concept. It, this was Lisa's idea. Mm -hmm. Um, so it wasn't with a formal letter. Um, <laughs> Although that would have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> were, what were you doing at that time? You were just you were just mostly doing editing then, right? Well, what I he's living on the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Down was, on Pacific uh, Avenue, drawing caricatures <laughs> for a quarter. I was uh, what I, well, what I do for a living still is I'm a freelance writer and mm -hmm. editor. So I was doing that, and uh, very gradually working on 
a novel of my own. Oh, really? Something that would make Lisa smile that I would even call it that. But You um, were working on the Melmans back then? Kind of. Yeah. I'm sorry, I call Dave's solo project the Melman Files, but it has another name. <laughs> so, we've been on tour for about a month, and I've heard that joke twice a day for <laughs> the whole time. Never gets old. It never gets old. <laughs> well, that's, I think, one of the appeals of uh, the Spellman Files is you kind of have a kind of, you get a rhythm going in, with the way you write. And you keep it up, and you kind of keep coming back to some of the same jokes, and, and, and it, but it really works. And, and I, so talk about uh, writing that way. Well, I, I actually think that I, I, don't, I don't possess, like every, every once in a while I'll say something that's traditionally witty, but what I'm, I'm expert at is the inside joke. So people who don't know me very well tend to not find me funny, and I'm not funny around them. What I need is I need material. I need to be able to pull something from, from someone as a person. To, to make a joke. And so for, the, for me, the Spellman's is all about drawing people in enough so that I bring them in on the joke. Mm -hmm. And it's always character-based right. humor. Well, I, I have to say that you're, you're really good. You have a great use of expletives in there that, that really keeps <laughs> me going. Because <laughs> Izzy is no wimp. And that's one of no. the things that I really like about the book, uh, these books. And I think, too, that we see some of that same verve uh, in, in Heads You Lose. So tell us, get, get the, the premise of Heads You Lose is I think really unique, I mean, for a murder mystery. And I think it's very timely. So uh, tell us about uh, murder in marijuana country. Who, who knows the potheads who are going, uh, up in uh, Humboldt County? Do you want to take this, Dave? <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm a little more familiar with that world. Uh -huh. Yeah. Although uh, anyone who's really familiar with that world will, will not find this authentic in most of the details. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I've provided most of the sort of setting. Um, and research. Yeah, but um, it's, not, it's not meant to be an accurate portrayal of that world, oh. uh, which, which I'm not qualified to do. But one um, interesting thing about just the, the whole concept of the novel um, was that I think the part, I, the part of the Spellman Files books that I love the most is the dialogue, the mm -hmm. back and forth. And the you know the, the banter kind of, yeah the banter, and so this this was an idea Lisa had to have kind of a whole project, that that was all, kind of that I've never really thought of it that way before. But yeah, that's, me yeah. neither. But that, that's true. That's a great idea. In fact, every aspect of this novel is banter. Even it is. The, the plot, the the op opposing chapters. It's a it's a but it's a it's meta banter. It's yeah, a it's novel. <laughs> it's meta banter. <laughs> So the challenge is to make it a conversation you want to listen in on, mm -hmm. rather than just let those people do their thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think you do a great job. So talk about uh, um, Lisa. Give us give us a you know what ha happens at the beginning of this novel, the novel part of the novel. But first, we meet the two writers, and we can already tell they were not particularly happy together. And we right. can probably guess that they're not going to be happy in the future either. Right. So, so we know that two, two authors who have had some you know, romantic relationship in the past are getting together to write a murder mystery. The mystery is about brother and sister pot growers who find a headless body on, in their backyard. And because of what they do for a living, they can't, they can't leave the body there and call the cops because the cops will come snooping around. So they move the body to a location where they think it will be discovered, only to find that it's not discovered and re-delivered to their um, now driveway a few days later. And so Paul and Lacey Hansen then become sort of amateur sleuths 
in trying to solve the murder. And as, it, as we, as Dave cautioned at the beginning, but we didn't do, they become stand-ins. Lacey becomes a stand-in for me, Paul becomes a stand-in for Dave as we sort of work our different chapters. And so I write the odd number chapters, Dave writes the even ones. Um, and I think our natural talents as, as writers is, t turns up in the chapters themselves. So I'm interested in plot. I like a story. <laughs> Call me crazy, but you, show, you start a book with a dead body, you want to know who killed that dead body at the end. And so that my, my chapters are very focused on that. Now, uh, one of the things I think that is... is <laughs> <laughs> he won't engage. Well, Lisa was moving the plot forward so quickly. Oh, you I say that I now. I it to the reader to sort of round out the characters and the setting and some of the backstory. <laughs> yeah. So I was just doing what I thought was needed. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the kind of banter I think that makes the book so good, um, is this back and forth in terms of plot. And that's a really, I, the more that we think about it, this is a book I think that uh, would reward rereading because I think there's a lot of subtlety here that it, you can just enjoy the surface, the two surfaces, and then you can go back and kind of look at the, the intricate layers. Now, as you guys uh, wrote this, were you, how much were you in contact, were you actually looking at one another? Did you like visit one another or, did, or was this all done via email for the most part? Mostly email. We had a few, we had a few, I mean, uh, about five chapters in, Dave's, uh, we, we attempted to write it the way we pretended we were writing it. So we uh -huh. had, we were just sort of going back and forth and then Dave said is, we can't do this anymore. Which is to say we didn't plan anything out. It was just when you got the other person's new chapter, you had no idea what it was going to be and what what they would step on that you had set up. And, right. Um, and it and wasn't going to work that way. We learned pretty quickly that yeah. we would just kill each other if we kept doing it that way. So, so we got together, but, but we, we didn't, it, you know, we didn't outline in great detail. I never outline in great detail. I like to leave room. So we just had some major brush strokes so we knew what Dave couldn't step on, what I couldn't step on, uh, whatever that was. I mean, I, I wasn't as worried about stepping on Dave's Monopoly clues. Um, which, if you've read the book, you know, he throws out a lot of Monopoly-related clues that actually go nowhere. Am I giving it away? Most of, most of her stepping on just involves her killing my characters methodically. <laughs> and repeatedly. Because you're, yeah. you're I mean, uh, we were talking earlier, uh, you know, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, issued a whole zombie advisory uh, <laughs> this week. And you, if anybody's bringing the zombies back, it's you, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Talk about uh, this kind of uh, resurrecting your characters at, uh, at ever greater and greater peril. I mean, well, our our rule was that we couldn't undo something the other person had established. So yeah. I, I couldn't like if Lisa had killed off somebody, I couldn't bring them back. But I don't want to give too much away. But there are certain ways around that. Or, but where the spirit, <laughs> yeah. the spirit of certain characters was allowed to live on. But I just learned. I mean, now I understand the whole death by wood chipper thing. I never had to use it, but now I understand why people use it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I didn't know that was a thing. It's a thing. It's happened before. Well, you know, actually, they've just turned the actual wood chipper used in Fargo into a monument in Fargo. Wow. <laughs> so you can go see, wow. go visit that foot wood chipper. That would be kind of great. And see, uh, and pay pay homage to the to the chipper that right. you pay homage to. Now, <laughs> um, one of the things I think that's interesting in your, your novel is 
the way you guys um, go back and forth with the characters. You have kind of a light dialogue feel, and 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 he has a more backstory, uh, backwoods uh, literary feel. But I think there's, as we are reading this, we realize that there's a certain we can see, you know, the author's hands in this. And so I'd like each of you to talk about um, how you um, how much you ratcheted back yourself in these characters and how much you came forward because that must have been a kind of a hard thing for you to navigate. So Lisa, talk about uh, well, you know wearing <laughs> wearing wearing uh, your your sock puck. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had I had never written um, a novel before I wrote The Spellman Files and that was in The Voice of Isabel. So writing now in the third person, it it I was able to detach, I think, mm -hmm. enough. I think it was very helpful for me to have that as a tool of, of separating myself from it. But I certainly, Lacey ended up being a little bit, I mean, I'm not going to write a weak female character. I'm incapable of it. I'm not interested in it. And I, I don't, <laughs> there are enough of them out there that men are writing that I'm not going to do it. So I, I understand that some people feel like uh, Lacey, there's um, echoes of Isabel in Lacey, but that's... That, that, that's not, I don't think that's quite as true. I mean, Isabel's more of a smart-ass, whereas Lacey's sort of just doggedly trying to solve the, right. the case. But, I, you know, there were times where Dave created characters that I would then have to work with, like Terry Jakes. Terry Jakes. Yeah. I love Terry Jakes. And <laughs> he, he is so much fun. I, I think I know somebody like Terry Jakes. <laughs> much a dangerous person to know, actually, yeah. but uh, yeah. there you go. So what would happen is I would hear Dave's version of Terry, and then I would sort of adapt my own version, and that's what would often happen. So it would be like, this is what I'm hearing when I hear your character. But it's, playing t it's like playing that game of telephone, where it really, by the end, it's nothing like what you said at the beginning. And I think that that happened with a number of characters. Right. So we're, we're struggling for control not of just what happens, not of just the plot, but also of the major characters. And... Um, well, also, too, you guys have a lot of fun just with the mystery genre. I mean, th this is an inventive uh, murder mystery because it's kind of it's kind of goofy, but it's also um, it's pretty violent. I know that was nice. Uh, yeah, it is nice. This <laughs> is a nice change of pace for me. <laughs> well, I think that uh, your stuff has, uh, Lisa, your stuff has a real edge to it. I think no matter what you're writing, I think. And thank I think you. It's because <laughs> I, I, that's why I enjoy it because it's so. Uh, we never know when you're going to stop, and I think that's true of David's parts too. So, um, I, talk about. Uh, I mean, how violent were you willing to to make this, and and how, um, you know, gruesome did you did you guys cut out any gore? Were there any like headless, legless bodies? Torsos? Maybe in Lisa's drafts. <laughs> I think. My, yeah. I think the main thing that restrained me was just we realized that. This has to work, first of all, just as a mystery, that mm -hmm. it will be a page turner and we'll have a satisfying end ending and everything. And then all this stuff between Lisa and me is kind of secondary. So right. we had to make sure that the contest between us was nasty and fun to watch. Right. But we also had to make sure it didn't just become ridiculous and, or just over the top in a way that would be off-putting. But I will say that I, I, I think that if you, you if you go back through the book, you will notice that I'm the one with the bloodlust. Mm -hmm. All of the violence, almost all of the violence is in my chapters. And uh -huh. I think it was really because I've been accused for years of being a mystery writer, 
with, you know, or, or people say murder mystery. Oh, yeah, you write murder mysteries, and this, none of the Spellman books have murders in them. No. So I think I really wanted to indulge in that. <laughs> it's a lot easier to do when you're not killing your own characters. Some of them I came to think of as my own, yeah. and I, but you know, <laughs> I'm willing to make that sacrifice for art. <laughs> well, uh, as you guys uh, worked on these letters, um, I, the letters are really entertaining, and, and you know they give us this kind of glimpse of uh, the other the subplot. Other subplot is this romance that happened in the past, and there's allusions to trips and stuff. And I'm wondering how much of that was uh, just came flowed off the tip of your pen, and how much of it. Uh, float off the tip of your, like, I remember that. <laughs> well, I will say that, I mean, some of it's fiction. Oh, some of it. <laughs> yeah, some of, some of what we claim to be, to have happened, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And some things did happen. Mm -hmm. um, the turkey incident, <laughs> in which Dave tried to murder me and his grandparents with an uncooked turkey, did happen. And, and once Dave gave me a haircut, which I will never forget. Dave, did you really give her a haircut? She asked me to. You, know, you, don't, you don't ask a person who's clearly drunk to give you a haircut. <laughs> no, the, I mean, come on, Lisa. Yeah, yeah live and learn. The, the, uh, the old wounds uh, from our past are really long, kind of scabbed over. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. not really live wounds. So oh, yeah. the, the notes to each other were sort of... Um, more fun to write. Mm. And, I mean, they were. They have a sense of fun in them. And that's yeah. kind of what's nice is that um, as, as we read this book, we get both the feeling that there's, you can see, as any reader can see, there's clearly some kind of realistic emotions back in there. But it also, any reader can see that um, you guys are having a lot of fun with this. And that makes it uh, us able to buy some of the truth without being made uncomfortable. I mean, right. nobody right. wants to watch a couple bicker. Right. Right. Um, but you kind of make it fun for us to watch you bicker, right? And while you're murdering off one another's characters. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I mean, it was very, it was, the bickering is very easy for us. I mean, we don't really know how to stop. I, when we were on tour and we were um, with his family, his sister, like I was just talking to him like I normally talk to him in the restroom. She's like, you can turn it off now, but I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> And we actually, we did an interview in, I think it was Milwaukee, and um, these perky morning oh, yeah. TV show hosts, it was insane. It was like 8 a.m., we hadn't, like we woke up at 4, and they were so perky, like ex-beauty queens and stuff, and uh, like they thought it was a joke. They thought, and the woman said to me, it's so great how you don't, you, you, you keep up this act while we interview you. I'm like, what act? <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, I, at the end of the interview, she said something like, did you enjoy spending time together? And I thought she meant, and I was, answer, I was saying, we didn't spend time together. So she says, did you enjoy spending time together? And I said, no, we didn't. <laughs> and, but I was just saying we didn't spend time together. And she was like looking at me at that point like I was nuts. <laughs> well, David, uh, you know, uh, Lisa is very extroverted and out there, and you can see I've her. Noticed that too. Yeah. <laughs> so not I'm always. Wondering. Embarrassing. <laughs> Embarrassing. Uh, well, that you know, that's an interesting. Uh, uh, that's an interesting point, because I think we see that to a degree in the book. 
you know, the way to cope with somebody who is, you know, witty and constantly, you know, out there entertaining is you have this nice uh, uh, aloofness. So, do, do you, <laughs> nice aloofness. Yeah. 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 So talk well about... Well done, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about my nice aloofness. Yeah, yeah. Is this a a studied act, or is this something that uh, just uh, flows off the tip of your tongue? Well, everything in the book is is, uh, kind of point-counterpoint. So, I mean, my uh, chapters are all in response to Lisa's chapters. So there's nothing in here that's really, like, straight out of my head. It's all counter-punching. Well, no, I I think that there's a... uh, there's a chapter in there that's pure David Hayward prose, and oh, okay. I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> Maybe you oh, can yeah. read us a few oh, read us a few lines of that because it's in big print. It's easy to read. Well, should we set that up? Or? Sure. Um, throughout the novel, I, I mean, I okay. I, so, why don't you explain it? And I'll just yes. Read so it. throughout the novel, uh, I complain about Dave using um, fancy words, and uh, I don't like having to look them up. I will say to the people who write me letters saying, you know, I don't have problems looking up a few words here and there. Yeah, I don't either. This is just a joke we used in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this was, and I'm going to say that this was planned by both of us. Uh, so he's using fancy words. I'm complaining about it, complaining. And then we get this chapter. Why don't you read the, the notes? That yeah, that's Chris a good idea. Had. These are the notes that we between every chapter. Right. Dave, back to you. I tossed in a few fancy words to illustrate how unnecessary they are. I am sanguine that you will agree. <laughs> For the record, I took three years of Latin in high school. Still, I managed to keep it out of my chapter. I don't want to harp on the insanity of your last chapter, but we're supposed to be building on each other's work. When I make a suggestion, please take it seriously. I know what I'm doing here. Lisa. Lisa, three years of Latin. Wow. Do you mean Latin dance? I can't help but admire your skill in turning all of my ominous revelations into jokes so the reader wouldn't be distracted from another chance to watch Lacey flirt with Doc Egan. As for the vocabulary, I'll try to turn it down a notch. Dave. Chapter 14. Terry was cutting the pretty plants. Cut, 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 went the scissors. (laughs) Paul was visiting his friend Terry. Terry... Why did you not tell me this? Okay, you get the idea. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You know, one of the things that's interesting about this is that for anybody who reads novels, it's interesting to see a novel in formation and to see, you know, editors' comments. And and I think that's one of the attractions of this. And and as you guys were writing this, uh, were you uh, kind of trying to show us the the substructure of a novel? Because that's a fascinating thing in and of itself. I actually think that was something that ended up being organic. I don't think that was part of my master plan to mm. show to to show the beams. But <laughs> so if people on the radio, Dave's mocking my whole master plan thing. But I was the mastermind behind the book, and I'm allowed to use words like master plan. Well, David, you're an editor, <laughs> so I'm thinking you might have had more of a uh, a master plan with regards to talking about the uh, the book as as a Showing the substructure of a novel. Do you edit yeah, novels? The, the, no, I've, I, you know, I've, I edited one novel once. Mm-hmm. It's not something I do um, for a living. Oh, no, okay. but he edit, but. He, he, he copy edits all of my stuff. So at this point in my career, since since the what was it, the second or the third Spellman book, Dave reads them all now oh. first, um, and it's very helpful. Oh. And he's very good at it. 
but I'm more of a detail-oriented mm -hmm. type of editor. And like it's just the whole kind of metafictional thing was something that Lisa I think was always more. Yeah, I was I was much more interested yeah. in the meta aspect and in the little details that reminded you that there were two authors yeah. writing. Well, that's a, that's what I think uh, one of the things that you know, as I say, as a reader, as I read this, um, I think, boy, this, these people are really having a lot of fun now, David. Uh, do you watch a lot of uh, reality TV? Because that's I don't. That, no. You don't. No. But <laughs> I see all the the names of the shows. Oh uh, well, I, let me highly recommend a show called Destroyed in Seconds. Okay. It's the absolute <laughs> best thing on TV. That sounds like pulver pulverize that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not dissimilar from pulverize that. So tell us about uh, riffing on uh, reality TV shows. Yeah, that was. I don't. I think that just came came about naturally. I think. Um, in my, probably my first chapter, I had my character Paul watching some reality right. show that I made up. I don't remember what it was, but Lisa complained about it, which was a sign to me that I needed to do <laughs> yeah. much more of that. So in I, every chapter, there are a couple of new reality TV show ideas, and that was they were just fun to make up. Well, well what I'll say is that when I got his chapter and he was referencing these television shows, and, and I will say, I will admit, I watch way more TV than Dave, and I was like, are these shows real? And for whatever reason, I didn't Google them, which then became this big, long joke. Like, he, I said, I asked him if they were real, and he's like, can't you Google? And, it's like he, and then he pointed out of all the times in my life where I just email him instead of Googling something where I could get the answer right away. Um, but so I thought the shows were real, and I thought, God, it's just TV's even weirder than I thought it was. So Lisa eventually gives in and tries to come up with I think I came um, up with some good ones. Her own fake reality shows to compete, but... I think I came up with good ones. That's nice. The giant blender? <laughs> you, you can, you blend a, like a, an easy chair? <laughs> I, How awesome is that? Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll watch Sorry, it. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> this book is uh, in Northern California, and, and your, your books are set in San Francisco, so, and that's a nice place to write about. So I'd like you to talk about, uh, you know, getting, this book kind of creates communities, right? And that's that's different from you because you're running around on Polk and and right. and whatever. I even I even I as infrequently as I visit San Francisco, I recognize some of the places there. So, I mean, talk about the difference between like meticulously. You must look at maps when you're writing the Spellman files. I'm guessing. I do, although I should look at them more. I mean, I I, I really <laughs> you have... got called out on it. I. No, but it's 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 like I, I think it's something I could do more of, and I'm I'm very lazy about that whole like researching locations. I just sort of stick to what I know. Like I now live near Golden Gate Park, and I notice that I'm using the park a lot more than I ever did before. It's just sort of like, oh yeah, I've been there recently. I'll write about that place. Um, but San Francisco is a great it's a great uh, location for any kind of PI book because there are so many different modes of transportation. It's a small city, so it's a bit claustrophobic. Um, it just seems sort of perfect. There are all these different neighborhoods that have a very different feel. And you can get from one neighborhood to the next sometimes within, like, by crossing a block. Well, th you get a lot of mileage out of uh, uh, surveillance in your books. Yes, definitely. And, and San Francisco's, I mean, having worked at a PI firm for a few years, surveillance was kind of great in the city. And I, I got to do things like follow someone on a bus or be in a car and then get dropped off by one of the uh, other surveillance operatives and like just follow somebody on foot and then like put, you know, announce my coordinates into a radio and then get picked up again. 
it's all very, it, you know, there's so many different things you can do. And I even uh, hopped into a cab and said, follow that cab. Really? It didn't go over very well, <laughs> <laughs> but I did. David, you, you, uh, did you provide some uh, Northern California details for the... Uh, a little bit. Was, some yeah. of the... Uh, the stripper scenes, the, 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 <laughs> genius, the genius stripper scenes. She's a she's a stripper and she's a Mensa is, member. Well, this is one of the characters that we struggle for control over. She's the girlfriend of my kind of protagonist, Paul. Yeah. So Lisa makes her. I create really the girlfriend a stripper, and then Dave takes her to another level. Uh, anyway, but the whole world of Mercer, the town in the book, is mm -hmm. is is really not based on a whole lot other than a vague notion of rural Northern California. Okay. Um, and my initial thought when we were talking about the book was, oh, we got to go up there, take a road trip, spend a week there, get a feeling for the, <laughs> for the locals, um, you know, get a sense of the, of uh -huh. the, the re real story of the place. And, and Lisa just quickly vetoed that idea. And, uh, it's not necessary. Yeah. Oh. Right. yeah. And we didn't need to spend any more time together. Well, <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> so if you just read her chapters, this I mean, the, the book could really take place almost anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you'll notice there's a lot less detail in it. There, there is, but you know. Well, Lisa, now, was a, tell us a little bit about your history as a private eye. How old were you when you started that? Well, I wasn't a private eye. I was an assistant at a PI firm. Mm -hmm. um, I think I got the job when I was 26 mm -hmm. and then ran off to become a famous screenwriter. That never happened at 27. So it was like, you know, it was a you know, about two years when the whole thing happened. And was it a family business? It was. Oh, okay. Yeah, well. they were they were hilarious. Um, it was, um, they were, I think they gave me the idea for the Spellmans because mm -hmm. there was this just fantastic combination of paranoia and warmth. So, I mean, on my first day on the job, the woman who hired me gave me a bear hug and called me her little angel. I mean, it was not a professional environment whatsoever. You know, they were always kisses and hugs, and, always, and then always like, did you shred that? Um, well, make sure you shred that immediately. And who called? Well, what did he say? What did he want? It was always like that. Has that happened since? The Someone calling you their little angel? Hmm. Actually, no. <laughs> I was curious. That might have been the first and last time. <laughs> Good point, Dave. Well, I think that's why, it, why what he's here to provide is uh, <laughs> some perspective on <laughs> On, on the... Uh, yeah, I'm no angel. <laughs> well, if, we, if you're anything like Izzy Smellman, at least you're, if you're not an angel, at least you're fabulously interesting. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I really like Izzy. And, and so um, I think one of the things that makes her good, and, and this also carries over to the characters in this book, too, is your characters are really gray. I mean, nobody is all good. I mean, no. you've got the, the protagonists of your book, for Christ's sake, or growing pot. I mean, that's not, it's illegal. Well, it's not necessarily immoral, but maybe it is if you're dealing with Zetas. <laughs> um, so uh, talk about, like, you know, I'd like you, each of you to talk about creating these kind of morally ambiguous characters who are, you know, neither all good nor all bad, but likable. That's the, that's the trick, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I actually, took, I, I will be honest, when it came to Heads You Lose, I did have less time working on character, and so um, I wasn't as conscious of, it, of, of creating the characters in these books. I was more interested in sort of like how I could, I could play with them, and, and, and I'll, I'll say that Dave gave them some more depth. Um, but with the Spellman's characters, it had always been my, my thing and always my obsession, and like, you know, I, I wanted Isabel to be so flawed that
that some people wouldn't like her. Like I knew that I knew that if everyone liked Isabel, I wrote her wrong. Mm. And so it was it was the first time in my life where I got mean emails from people where I I almost celebrated them. And <laughs> really, and there were some people who wrote to me just thought Isabel was so awful that they couldn't bear to read more of the books. And most people recognize themselves in her. Mm -hmm. She's flawed, you know. And, and I had I felt like I had seen tons of male characters, especially in comedic novels, that were flawed but funny and still decent human beings no matter what. Isabel's decent, but she she's she sometimes almost has like she has this uh, disorder and she won't connect with people. She won't give them what they need. Um, but it was very important to me to create somebody that like that. Um, just because women in, in, in fiction and especially in lighter fiction tend to be quirky and adorable and and all of these things that or or completely professional and self-possessed and fantastic. And I just wanted basically a screw-up who well, got a few things right. You get that. And I, <laughs> I think in our book, all that kind of goes double because even if I tried to write a character a very certain way that I envisioned and wanted him, him to stand for certain things, Lisa's just going to trample all over that. <laughs> so I hope what we end up with is characters who are really well-rounded <laughs> with some, like, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not 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 perfect. Not perfectly round. No, they're, they're <laughs> definitely not. Like but, the um, Sook Felton, uh, an older character. I think Dave was making him edgier, and then I, I turned, yeah, I turned him into my grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Which she I turned. She kind of won that battle. Yeah. Ultimately. But. Well, yeah. That's what's interesting too is um, that the the novels fought out not just in terms of the detection in it but a, a, a duel between the two of you on, on the level of character, what style of characterization is going to prevail for each character and what characters are actually going to, how you are going to kill off a character so it just cannot possibly be, be brought back. So I, I'd like each of you to talk about this kind of you know, dueling characterization aspect of the novel. Well, for me, that was the most fun part of the, writing the book. Because you write, uh, wrote really, your chapters are very textured. <laughs> hey. Okay, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Every whenever I would get Lisa's chapter, it was like a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, like, and I would immediately start thinking about what I what I could do to kind of uh, both like take what she'd established and further it, but also kind of get right. back at her in certain ways. So, um, like fighting fighting over certain characters and how they should be portrayed mm -hmm. was sort of the most enjoyable part of that. And I think, in the, in, um, like in the, in the case of Brandy Chester, that was, that was the clear winner. <laughs> well, I think we both won. I think the reader won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, OK. But yeah, no, Brandy Chester was certainly, like, I think the best result of the dueling, of the dueling um, over, over um, sorry, I'm distracted by a man in the window. <laughs> That's Terry Jakes. <laughs> that is looks, Terry Jakes. It looks like Terry Jakes, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so, but it was, it was fascinating because you never really knew exactly where anyone was going to go. And then, and then I think eventually we, we both would come to terms with who the character was. Whether we, whether we knew if the character was good or evil or, or was the murderer or not it was sort of irrelevant. We, I think at, at, at some point, like the last third of the book, the characters sort of remain somewhat Right. The same. Right. Now, um, uh, also, there's the character of you guys in the notes. 
Right. And that must have been a, a real challenge because on one hand you want it to ring authentic, on the other hand you're you're playing with it. So um, talk about uh, creating the prose. I mean, were you editing his visions, his letters from himself? I mean, we worked together the most mm. on those, and um, and and that a lot of them happened after my editor got got hold of the book and, and sort of found that we were it, too harsh throughout the entire thing and she wanted us to start out a little more even keeled. Um, you used the phrase, after my editor got hold of the book. Did you, <laughs> were you hiding it from her? Well, the thing was, we, we wrote the book on spec. Mm. So, because um, I, when I told her the idea, she sounded like she thought I'd, I'd gone nuts. Um, and so I, I was just, for about a year, I was like, trust me, trust me, I think it can work, I think it can work. And then finally, she she read the book and she loved it, and then she acquired it, and then we the editing started. and And her one of her big gripes was the way the notes were, and so we had to flesh those out more. Um, and we were I mean, we were playing roles in our notes. That's not exactly how we communicate. It's exaggerated versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and they were they were a great great way to blow off steam throughout the project. Because oh, there are a lot yeah. of points where we really were pretty unhappy with each other. Yeah. But between each chapter, we had this chance to write the nastiest things imaginable yeah. about the other person <laughs> in the guise of this author author Dave character. Mm. You know. So. It must be fun to put yourself as an as a character. Now, um, do we have any questions from the audience? Wow. Thank, Thank you. You. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's that, it's, that, it's that tension and the conflict, but there's, but there's un an underlying relationship that, right. that's really solid. I'm Hepburn, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we can all agree I, on that. It's more solid than we thought. Only if you've yeah. just cut her hair. <laughs> yeah. I think they have scissors back there. Yeah. Now, um, are you guys going to do another project like this? I think I would absolutely love to see that. <laughs> we need you to reach all of America first. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm down for that. Not all of, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that it has, there has to be sort of a, a necessity. Like, mm -hmm. We have to hear from people wanting it. Um, I mean, would you guys be willing to do it again? Yeah, I would. Yeah, um, maybe. <laughs> we have some details to hammer out about font size on the cover. <laughs> we can worry about that later. Well, I, yeah. think that's, I think you've just absolutely justified the, the sequel. And, uh, so Dave's name can get bigger? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> just this interaction, this is what we dig on these books. <laughs> I've been speaking with Lisa Lutz and David. Hayward. Their new book is Heads You Lose. Thank you for joining me, Lisa and David. Thanks, Thank Rich. you. It's been fun. Um, they'll be signing books. Please buy these books so that they will keep publishing them. <laughs> and then we can read more. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.